Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. I'm always thankful for you when you join me right here on any edition, but in particular this edition of Around with Randall. Today we talk a little bit about self-determination. Two things kind of have happened, uh, one very personal, just for my own enjoyment, which I'll talk about in a moment, one professional, and I'll start there. I'm having more and more conversations with upper-level leaders and maybe even into mid-level philanthropy employees, fundraisers, uh, infrastructure, people who are are driving kind of the middle part of success for many nonprofits. And there seems to be a lot of complaining is too hard of a word, but concern about the fact that there's a loss of control, at least perceived, in how philanthropy works within organizations. And philanthropy isn't the sole reason most organizations exist. Nonprofits exist to serve the mission, which isn't to raise money, but the money then drives what the mission is trying to accomplish. In healthcare, that's providing health and fundraising helps do that. Education is providing an educational opportunity. Social services, it could be food kitchens and providing food or shelter. Philanthropy is the engine or part of the engine that makes the mission possible. And what I'm finding more and more often on the professional side is a lot of people saying, I'm not being listened to. I I I feel as if we're being pushed back particularly as we have some economic uncertainty, uh, not only in places like healthcare and education, but just overall in the economy. It's a loss of control, self-determination. Then something happened last night that I kind of pieced together with a lot of these different conversations. And that happened at about 1030 on a Friday evening as my wife and I were enjoying the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. If you haven't seen it, it's a multi-season show about a woman who wants to become a comic after becoming a mother and a wife first, living in the 1950s in a world that didn't promote or advocate or, in some cases, even allow women to do whatever they wanted. And it's her life building into a career. And it's the last episode. So my wife and I have enjoyed watching, try to catch five or six a week after the kids go to bed and this was the last one and she at the very end without spoiling much of anything if you haven't seen it it says to her manager i'm going to do something that could either be really good or really bad but i'm going to take control of the situation and i sat there pulled up my phone and started taking some notes because it brought to me this conversation about self-determination and control the idea of self-determination isn't or the lack thereof, or the concern about it isn't new. You go all the way back into the Bible. If you look into Romans, we want to go all the way back thousands of years. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's always been this kind of give and take or this friction between going along with the flow and what I want. And then on top of that, what kind of self-control do I have? There are limits 
to our ability to create self-control, one of which is the law. There are certain things we can and can't do. Give you a couple of examples. And really, this is all predicated on the fact that the law is built to protect us from other people's bad judgments and their decision-making. And usually it's done, if done correctly, to stop massive harm. You may be driving and thinking, I don't know why the speed limit is 45. I should be able to go 70. We have laws about that. Court cases have been decided about this. The lack of control. Maybe you have had uh, or read stories where people come into homes and try to take over or they're, or they're uh, breaking and entering. There's actually court cases on this. One that we study in law school, uh, Catco versus Brinney in Iowa talks about that farmers were tired of people breaking into an unused building and they set up a shotgun. And so when the burglars, the intruders came in, they were shot. And the court said, hey, there's limitations to control. The value of the human life is more important than the property. You can't do that. The idea is, is we don't want to have overwhelming harm. These are why you set rules up for kids. Why I talk about making sure we're not playing on the stairs because there's certain things I can't fix, even though they may think it's really fun. We also have our own ethics and morals. And when I say our ethics being more about the community or the, or the association or the groups that we fill in terms of our space and what they set as standards, community norms, and our own personal morals that come from what we believe in and how we were raised and possibly religion or parents or others who inform us. I think most of us are okay with the limitations. It's all the gray area in the moment, in, in the middle. Self-determination is a really vital part of our comfort level, our sense of self-actualization if we steal from Maslow in terms of the hierarchy of needs, because being self-determined or having self-determination talked about through the, the eons as a, a really practical need creates an idea of autonomy and competence and relatedness. Autonomy is about control. Can I do what I want to do? Not just in the moment, but long-term. Competence. Am I mastering things? The desire to actually get better at something and to be maybe someday an expert at it. And the idea of relatedness, that others are doing the same thing, a belonging in this world. So what are we really talking about? Those are kind of the higher end maybe philosophical conversations about why self-determination, control, taking chances, having and owning the world is important. It's important also from the concept of two things that I was taught from a very young age by my parents, particularly my father. Self-determination is important because he he always said there were thing, two things you need to keep in mind about relationships. Number one is, is that really, when it comes down to it, most people just don't care about you. It's not that they wish you harm, but they have their own life. They're busy with their own problems, their own issues, their own challenges. And that connected to that, in life, you probably are only going to have one or two, possibly three people outside of a marriage, outside of a significant others, outside of parents, who truly care about you 
and that will be lifelong friends. They will be willing to put you ahead of them. So what are we going to do with all of these conversations about people who are unhappy because they feel like they've lost control? That they can't be self-determinant from a business perspective, particularly in the nonprofit space. So the tactical pieces are six things to keep in mind about what you can do to try to gain some control, to really press upon this idea of self-determination. And a lot of it's due just based on the concept of change. We've had a couple of podcasts recently about change. Self-control and self-determination starts with a really strong look at yourself and what you're willing to put up with. This is the conversation maybe or professionally where you ask the question, how much do you get paid versus how much you're willing to put up with? The more you're paid, the more you're asked to put up with. That's a real challenge. People ask, let's take it in the nonprofit world, while a CEO of a university, president, chancellor, CEO of a hospital, billion-dollar organization, or hundreds of millions of dollar organization get paid so much. Because they can get a phone call at 2 a.m. and it doesn't make a difference what day it is. It doesn't make a difference what's going on. They got to go take care of a problem. They're willing to put up with that. But they get paid for it. What are you willing to put up with? How much can you take? How much are you willing to take? So there's some subparts to this. Number one, we have to concentrate or think about how this affects our financial life. I have a friend of mine who's challenged with a professional situation where she probably doesn't get the support she needs. And I've talked to her about, is it time to walk away? And she's very unhappy and very upset, but financially can't. That should be an effect. Now, I'm not saying money should overcome someone's well-being, but we have bills to pay in life. And so just quitting it may not be the right opportunity for her currently, maybe looking to do something else. The other thing inside this idea of how much you can take is where does this affect your professional goals? I have another friend who's looking at different opportunities and she's crossing off those opportunities based on job titles and job responsibilities because she has in her mind a career track. And I keep saying, is the career track worth the problems that you're currently having? And the answer is no. Then I said, why do you care about the job title? Build back into it. What you can take is really important. The second thing is, is knowing who you can trust. To have a sense of people on your side that can help you. I have another client, interesting situation. This individual, this leader, uh, he had really advocated and pushed and given an opportunity to a very young professional, giving them a real opportunity to grow, and they were killing it. Just couldn't have been doing better. The numbers, the, 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 the performance was spectacular. And literally out of the blue, the employee came in to this manager, this leader, and said, I don't want to do this job anymore. I never really wanted to do it in the first place. And so I'm about ready to accept another job. What this employee, this, this younger 
professional didn't realize is that the harm wasn't in the job, but in the lack of trust. That they had gotten to a place in building her career where he felt as if she could come into the office and talk to him. Now, they're going to be able to save it. And I was kind of in the middle of going back to this idea of self-determination. She got a point where she couldn't take it anymore. Who do you trust? The other thing is, is when you are working through difficult situations, start from the premise of not talking too much about what you believe. Ask outside people that you do trust what they think based on the facts. And the reason this is, is you don't want someone else's opinion to be jaded if you trust them by what you already are predetermining is your direction. Because then they look at it and go, well, you really don't want my true opinion. You want someone to validate what you're doing. So I'll just go ahead and do that. If you're actually interested in someone else's opinion, don't tell them what you think. Give them the facts and say, tell me what your thoughts are. So number two, know who you can trust so you can have conversations and get support. Number three is create a plan in writing. And try to see it from a different perspective. Try to put on a different so-called hat in this process. And think about goals, both short and long-term. Sometimes when we are dealing with when we lose control, we only worry about the here and the now. So let me give you an example that is not professional, but just legal. You're driving down the road. You are not inebriated, meaning you haven't had any alcohol. You get pulled over for speeding, and the officer wants you to take a blood alcohol test, breathalyzer. And the short-term reaction is, in the moment, the goal, I've lost control. Now somebody else is controlling what's going on. And I'm going to say, no, because I haven't been drinking. Well, the short-term goal would be to get home, I guess. But the long-term implication of not taking a blood alcohol test, even if you haven't been drinking, is you're found guilty in most jurisdictions of driving without or driving under the influence. It doesn't make any difference whether you were or not. So that's an extreme case. But you have to think about just beyond the moment. If you if you are out of control and don't feel you're being listened to and the extreme position is, I'm going to go take another job, and you take that other job at half the salary, you may be happy in the moment, but long-term, where does that fit financially? Or I have to move. What does that mean for my kid's education? Thinking about long-term and short-term goals and the impacts of them, both unintended and potentially, if you can figure out unintended, is really important. Number four, respectfully, appropriately, limitedly advocate for yourself. One of the things that I think we fail when we don't have control in many situations is to say, I feel as if I'm not in control. Could we talk about what this is, why I feel this way, and how we can work together for a common good? If you are the chief development officer and you don't feel like philanthropy is a part of the strategy of the nonprofit, then sitting down with your boss, the CEO, the board chair, whomever, and say, I'd like to talk about this. That's advocating for yourself and back into control, or at least having a voice in the control. I think sometimes we're afraid to do that. We're afraid to admit, I don't like being not in control. I don't like being dictated to. I don't like having no voice in what I'm doing. There's a big difference between a professional and my six-year-old. 
Now, even my six-year-old daughter, I'm interested in her opinions. We don't vote very often because I don't believe in it. But I'm interested in what she's thinking, what she's feeling, and we adjust from there. But most of the time, she's not willing to advocate for herself. I have to ask her. Well, the same is true professionally. Also, be willing to negotiate when you do advocate. You're not going to get everything you want. Take little pieces, count them as wins, and figure out what's most important in that control. Where can you feel good about having self-determination? Number five, don't act in isolation. Your decisions have effects on others. Now, that doesn't mean you have to trust everybody or tell everybody until you make decisions that you think are best for you. But I'm always amazed when I hear about decisions and I'm like, did you talk to your significant other? I just had a recent conversation with a colleague who's going through some control issues in the office. And they're, they're like, I, I'm, geez, I'm going to just quit. And I'm like, I think all of those kind of decisions, knowing their family situation a little bit, start in the bedroom. Meaning, I'm talking to my significant other first. Here's where I'm at. What do you think? How does this affect us? The worst thing you can do is to make a decision have to live with the decision professionally you own probably that but that has impact on other people you didn't actually intend it's not a big group but just don't act in complete isolation of the rest of the world unless there's nobody else to consider and lastly don't be afraid of change we've talked about this a number of times this is important because we're seeing jobs being open and people change. I mean, it's a mass turnover in terms of nonprofit leadership, nonprofit gift officers, nonprofit uh, infrastructure, nonprofit non-fundraising leadership. Don't forget in change, though, there's something to keep in mind. It's very normal that decision makers display a, a really a strong bias towards alternatives that actually perpetuate what the status quo is and was. They think they're changing, but they're not. You think you're changing, but you're actually not. I equate this to the way in which if you were in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or did any kind of survival training or anything of that nature out and you, you are uh, someone who's uh, more than I am, certainly someone who enjoys the outdoors, you're taught when you are going from point A to point B by a, a compass, you pick a spot on that line that's down. So you aim for something. Could be a mountain peak, could be a big tree, could be something that you can keep in a straight line. Because what they have found is, is that if you don't, even with a compass, and you, unless you're watching it every second, you actually walk in the circle and you end up right back or fairly close to where you started which is the same principle of decision makers working towards alternatives that keep the status quo. Be able to know that if you're going to make a change, know what direction you are and keep moving in that direction. Or if someone promises you change, promises you more control, that the ability to work through that actually gets you to that control, or at least a little more of it. Don't forget, you're not going to get everything you want. The last thing I'll say just is just overall, if you think you can hide your concern for lack of self-determination, if you think you can uh, act well enough to all the time to make sure people don't know that you are disappointed, upset, concerned, whatever, with the lack of self-determination and that you're not okay with it, but you can hide it. 
you're wrong. You can't. Eventually, people will figure it out, which means you need to go back to the tactics of realizing what you can take, of knowing who you can trust, of creating a plan, of advocating yourself, of not being in isolation in terms of decision-making unless there's no one else involved, and of not being afraid of that change potentially or that conversation or whatever. You better do those because somebody's going figure, to figure it out fairly quickly. It's too hard as a human being to hide all that long-term. It just comes out in various ways, even if unintended. Self-determination is important. And you actually have more control over it if you're willing to push in a little bit and have those conversations. If you're interested in contacting me, that's podcast at philanthropy.com. And if you're interested in more information, I do two or three blogs a week, just things in the world, nonprofit world, leadership, things of that nature to give you something to think about. 90 second reads, philanthropy.com, or you can get an RS feed if you go to the website. Don't forget what we do is critically important. It makes a difference. My favorite all-time saying, some people make things happen, some people watch things happen, then there are those who wondered what happened. And interestingly enough, philanthropy is all about people who make things happen, those of us in the nonprofit workspace, as well as the philanthropists that we partner with, to take care of and to assist those people and those things that are just wondering what happened. That's a pretty cool profession. And even if you don't have all the self-determining factors you want, what a great opportunity every day to know you're affecting someone else who's probably thinking they don't have much control either. A great way to spend a career helping others. You're doing it. Don't forget about it. And know that it's making a difference. I'll look forward to seeing you next time right back here on another edition of Around with Rand. And don't forget, make it a great day.